Uh, you guys can um, stay standing for the reading of God's Word. We are in Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 10. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The, temp- the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and they will <laughs> lift you up from in their hands, and you will not strike your foot against the stone. And then Jesus answered, It is Also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And this I will give you. And he said, if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. Uh, The word of the Lord. Um, Let's pray one more time. Uh, God, we we, uh, are here uh, coming for you in Lent, looking at this journey of Jesus in the wilderness. And we pray that you would meet us in our wilderness experience right now. We pray that you would come wherever we are, whatever we're going through, uh, that you would comfort us with your love, remind us who we are, that we are your beloved sons and daughters, uh, enabled to serve you and serve his people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. Uh, this passage is usually a passage used to mark the season of Lent from the very beginning. Uh, it is the model for Lent of 40 days leading up to Easter. Uh, if you study uh, how Lent originated, a lot of what we do in Lent is modeled after Jesus' time in the wilderness. Uh, this passage is 40 days until Jesus launches his ministry. And there's something very important in this passage I want you to see that, that uh, it teaches us how to go through the wilderness and how to go through temptation. So I don't know whatever, if you're in a wilderness experience right now, uh, it is a, not an elective in life. It is a core class to go through wilderness experience. So either you're going through one right now, or you will be going through one. Um, but I hope that in this time, in this message, that uh, by the end of it, you'll have some new tools um, and thoughts on how to go through wilderness uh, experiences yourself and through uh, temptation. Um, the first thing I want you to see before we launch into this, is uh, God doesn't have cheat codes. You guys remember video games when you had a cheat code? Like there was like the video game, you like forward, forward, back, back, up, up, A, B, and it would do something. I know I'm speaking like to a small demographic here. You know, Mike Tyson's Punch-Out, Super Mario's, Zelda, you know, Dunk Hunt put in this cheat code and you had everlasting lives. It would be like a thousand hearts, right? Um, and we really want in life a cheat code when we go through wilderness experiences, when we go through difficulty. God has no cheat codes. Uh, Jesus doesn't experience any cheat codes. And we only grow in trial and temptation. The way we grow is going through trials and temptation. James uh, says in his, in his book that um, you've heard the the verse that says, have joy when you go through various trials. And that verse is always kind of confounding, right? Like, it kind of sounds, you know, sophomoric at best, um, moronic at worst. It's like, okay, I don't know if you've ever seen those clips where 
the wrong team is cheering, you know, for the, for the, the, the cheerleaders are cheering for the team that's the opposite team that scored, right? And it's like that moment, like, what are you saying? Have joy when you go through trials. Um, but he's considering it, consider it joy. Like, know that it's producing something in you. And so the only way we grow is through trials. It's this moment where you feel safe and secure enough in God's love and who you are and your identity. But there's a certain degree of conflict in your life, and that's when people change and grow. The problem is in our unstable society, we don't remind ourselves of the safety and groundedness and belovedness and affirmation of who we are. And so what I want to show you today is in this first verse, really sets the whole outline of what's so important here. It says, then, um, then, I just want to go through three things. Then, what is that talking about? Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness and then to be tempted by the devil. Then is the most important word in this whole passage. uh, Because what happened before this was Jesus received his baptism and heard the voice of God come from after he was baptized. Jesus has got wet hair and he's going into this wilderness experience. But the thing before this was this baptism moment where he heard the voice of God say, you are my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, with whom I have my delight upon you. And what's amazing about this passage is it parallels Genesis 1 through 3. This passage is not, we teach this in Lent and talk about temptation. I want to talk about that a little bit. But really what, what is happening is it's, this passage is all about who God is and who we are and what kind of world we live in. It is a, a whole uh, story arc of really the human experience. and so. Uh, this, this goes all the way back to Genesis 1. It matches that, that in the beginning, human, the first humans, Adam and Eve, were in the garden of the cool of the day in which the God was well pleased, in which there was this intimate union, um, a union that was so deep and united with God that no one could shake. Nothing, there was no, no sense of any, any um, issues. Uh, this, this intimacy was one where they heard the voice of God in the cool of the day. They had an intimacy with him. Um, but then Satan came along and tempted them and said, did God really say not to eat of that tree? And so you see them, the garden turns into a wilderness experience. And this is true of us. We live in a world filled with wilderness. But the way we receive, um, Jesus re- experiences um, this experience of hearing, I am God's beloved. This is going to anchor him all the way up until his death. Like this phrase is Jesus' secret sauce. All right? Like, and, and I don't know if you've, ever, if you've been around Missio Day, you've heard us talk about life of the beloved a lot. We talk about this verse a lot, that you are God's beloved son and daughter with whom he is well pleased. It is, it is um, the, the thing that, that caused Jesus to go through all that he went through. Now, when we go through temptation, Jesus' temptation, it's easy to think, okay, Jesus is the son of God. You've got to remember, these are human temptations. Like this. It says that he was led by the Spirit, and that can be confusing. Why did the Spirit lead them into wilderness? We know that God doesn't tempt us. We know that he doesn't want to harm us. But I think what he was led into the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days was to really let sink in. What does it really mean that I am God's beloved son with whom well please? I think it took 40 days and 40 nights for that to really sink in. And I think if it takes Jesus 40 days and 40 nights for that reality to sink in, how much more... It's going to take an entire lifetime for us for it to sink in that you are God's child. He's pleased with you. Before anything you do to the world, he's pleased with you. No matter what anyone says about you, he's pleased with you. Um, And so um, this is so important, our identity in Christ. So in the middle of this temptation, 
and the Spirit also, I believe in this, in Jesus' humanity, it took the anointing of the Spirit to be able to fight temptation. That Jesus knew that he couldn't take his authority to serve himself. He had to submit to the human experience, somehow mysteriously as being completely God and completely man, and yet use the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the, the devil. This, so too we, when we go through life, we use the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome the enemy. So, Jesus is led into this place of this journey, and Satan says, if you are who you say you are, let's, let's see some ID, Jesus. Like, we need to see, like, some ID and show yourself who you are. I'm sure you're hungry, so we've been out here for 40 days. Make some of these stones turn into Mary, Mary's um, biscuits, okay? Uh, we need to see, see, you know, your biscuits, these, this bread's going to come in handy. We know you need to provide a lot of provision for a lot of people. Let's just make it happen now. I'll give you all the bread you need to provide for all the hungry people that are being oppressed. <clears throat> and Jesus says, it is written, we cannot live by bread alone. And he quotes Deuteronomy 8, the passage we saw last week, but yet we live also by God's word. And Satan says, okay, I understand. I'm with you. I'm with you. I see what you're doing here. You can't just give hungry people not, like a handout. I get that. Like We can't just, just be dependent. They can't be dependent on you. Well, what about some political power? I'll give you the keys of the kingdom here on earth, and all you have to do is this really small thing. <coughs> Excuse me. Bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, we shall only worship one God. Um, and it's important to know that these temptations, though I want to make connections to us, they're not our temptations. Most of us aren't like, man, like our temptation would be like maybe a, a everything bagel with pickled onions and an over easy egg with some locks and, you know. These aren't our temptations, right? The, 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 these temptations of like, if I was like, let me give you the keys of the kingdom of Chicago. You're like, I don't want that. Like, you know, and so the, these are uniquely to Jesus's identity as the one who would be the Messiah to save the world. What Satan is doing here is at inviting him to take a shortcut um, to use his power for himself not to serve. Uh, and so um, these temptations, uh, Jesus will later do the very things that he tempts him with. These aren't bad things. Like, bread is not bad. He later would feed 5,000 out of uh, a, a, a couple of pieces of fish and a couple of slices of Wonder Bread. And then Jesus would then reign from the cross and say, this is my entire kingdom, right? He says, my kingdom has come. My kingdom is already at hand. And instead of jumping off to some certain like spectacle of a death, and rescued by angels, Jesus would actually die and refuse to stay dead. So these are all things that Jesus was meant to fulfill. The difference between Satan and Jesus is not the outcomes of the temptations themselves, but in the way the desired outcome, outcomes come to fruition. Let me say that again. The difference between Satan and Jesus' way is the desired out, the way that they would come to fruition. Satan tempts with a lot of power dynamics. Um, he's, he, he first uses a, a dynamic of religious power to misuse religious power. Why don't you make yourself a spectacle so that everyone would bow down? And we know in our age, day and age that religious power is often used and abused. We see it in scandal after scandal. Um, then he tempts him with political power. He says, why don't you just have all the kingdoms of the earth right now? And these temptations of power are temptations with us. We all have power whether you believe it or not. And um, Flaming Lips said that what would you do with all that power? 
do we really know ourselves what we would do? Uh, I don't know if we do. I don't know if we, we know what we would do if we had all the money in the world. Would we really share it? You know, what, we all long for various kinds of power, um, but power in and of itself is not evil, but it puts us in a place of corruption when we crass for it. And what, what Jesus is doing here is God makes the first move. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. God has named and claimed us as God's own, but immediately after, other things try to tell us who we are and to whom we belong, whether it be capitalism, the weight loss industrial complex, our parents, kids at school. They all have to go uh, have a go at telling us who we are, but only God can do that. Everything else is temptation. Maybe demons are defined as anything other than God that tries to tell us who we are. Anything that's trying to tell us who we are. And maybe just moments after Jesus' baptism, when the, Satan says, if you are the son of God, he does it so because he knows that Jesus is vulnerable to temptation precisely to the degree that he is insecure about his identity. So if God's first move is our identity, the devil's first move is to throw that identity into question. To give you an identity based on what you do, what you have, or what others say about you. I mean, this is, these are all very strong temptations. I mean, look at um, what others say about you. If we are living off the, 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 the affirmation of others, um, this is what Henry Nouwen says, if we got that quote up by Henry Nouwen. He says this somewhere in there, when we come to believe in the voices that call us worthless and unlovable, then success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions. The real trap, however, is self-rejection. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us the beloved. Being the beloved expresses the core truth of our being. Do you see that? The greatest enemy of your life is your own self-rejection. The only thing that can separate you from God is your own mind. That's it. Romans 8 says nothing can separate you from Christ. Not even your own thoughts, not even your own emotions, not even your own being your own doubts. That self-rejection is the greatest enemy of your spiritual life. That we need to, we must love ourselves in order to love our neighbor, right? Um, but here we see the sense of, um, man, every day I hope and pray that you wake up and tell yourself, I am God's beloved. I really do. I really believe in this. I really believe that God is calling us to really be secure in how he made us, how beautiful he made us and wonderful he made us, though unique to, to anyone else. Um, next slide by, um, uh, yeah, that one. Uh, the attentions of others matters to us because we are afflicted by a congenital uncertainty as to our own value. As a result of which affliction, we tend to allow others' appraisals to play a determining role in how we see ourselves. Our sense of identity is held captive by the judgments of those we live among. So when we get to heaven, God's not going to ask you you know, we, this is a quote by a, by a, Jew, a Jewish author. He says, you know, uh, why weren't you, God's not going to get into heaven and say, Rabbi, why were you more like Moses? Uh, why, his name was Zusa, and it's like, why weren't you more like Zusa? Uh, God's not going to get to heaven and ask you, why weren't you more like X or Y or Z? He's going to say, why weren't you more like Harold? Harold, why weren't you more like yourself? Like, 
like, like Christine, why were you more like Christine? Like he, he's not going to, he's not expect. like God didn't call you to this city, uh, uh, to anybody else to this city. He called you specifically for this time and season. I remember as a, as a church planter, I used to, used to think and wonder, man, if I was, you know, you, you have so many people, um, being a pastor, you carry a lot of different people's expectations. I need you to be charismatic like this pastor, smart like Tim Keller. I need you to be, you know, dressed with great sneakers like this guy. And I need you to create great community and, and do justice. And I need you to create this. There's a lot coming in and, and you're like, man, I can't be all these people. I'm only me. This is the only story I've got. I've only got one story. And, and God has put us here, me here, all of us here for this time and season to equip the church to be his presence and mission to a lost and dying world. He has called us to be a church for the one, not the 99, a church for those who are burnt out on church, a church for those who are tired and sick of uh, smoke screens and games and production and a spirituality of willpower and perfection and performance. When you put performance and willpower and perfection into your spirituality, you have lost the beloved. You've lost the power of the beloved. You really have. Um, a spirit, God desires a spirituality of imperfection. It is only in our weakness in which we can be transformed. It is only in your difficulty, in your worst days, where God's power can come. So, here we see that Satan's temptation, uh, a couple of things. Next slide, the doubting, doubt our identity. So, we talked a lot about that. The first thing the enemy wants you to do is doubt your identity. Um, and then the second thing is he wants you to misuse your power. He wants you to misuse your power. If he can get your identity off to something else, you'll use your power for yourself. And you'll use your power for your mistaken identity. That's what's his temptation to Jesus. So what is the result? What does it look like for us to be a community that practices the ethic of Jesus in this moment? Um, what does it look like to, to have this communal ethic to say, I'm going to walk in the way of Jesus and fight off temptation in the wilderness? Uh, the first thing I want to talk to you about is what Jesus did was receive the gift of limits. Receive the gift. You're like, he's the son of God. He doesn't have limits. No, he was also fully human. Fully human, he learned to suffer and obey. It says in Hebrews 2 that he is not a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have a high priest that knows every one of our weaknesses. That he is one who, who learned how to follow God in his humanity. Um, so Jesus had to receive his limits in his humanity. And, and I say that receive the gift of limits because most of us don't think our limitations are gifts but I want you to see how beautiful of a gift it is of the limitations that are on your season right now and embrace them. This is so huge. If you do not do this, you will believe that your life with God is about performance and perfection. And so I just want to talk about a couple of limits. Um, first, first couple is your personality. Your personality is a limitation. Some of you get in, your energy from people. You're extroverts. You're like, yeah, five-minute party. Let's go worship. Yeah, let's go. Others of you are like introverts. You're like, let me hide. Like, don't, don't look at me. Like, like, leave me alone. Let me go run. Um, and so uh, your personality is, has limitations. It is a gift, but it is a limitation. You are only you. You must receive, and, and what, your gifts are a limitation. Um, Jesus tells a parable about, uh, there's, a, there's a story about, uh, there's a servant that had one bag of gold, 
another servant that had three bags of gold, and a servant that had five bags of gold. Some of you are five bags of gold people, and we hate you. We don't like you. You carry yourself effortlessly, juggling everything in life. You're, you know, you, 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 whatever. You know, it, you, you have a lot of gifts, okay? We get it. Five gift, five bag of gold people. But most of us are like, okay, I'm a one or three bag gold person, right? Like there's, there's a limitation to, to who we are and who we're, we're gifts are. We need to live into those giftings. Um, other thing is your season of life. Having young children. Enough said, right? I told uh, Christine and, and maybe Kate the other day that, um, you know, it's hard being in church because you hear a pastor get up and, and give a, a, a motivation for where we're going all the time. And this is how, you know, praying and all these things. Um, I, heard, I heard somebody once say that if you live in an urban environment and you're a Christian and with little kids, your job is just to stay a Christian. That's it. Nothing else. Like, stay a Christian. Like, that's your role. Um, you're, if you have elderly parents in need of care, you are in a season of life of limitation. If you're preparing for the future, if you're in college and grad school, that is a season of life that is a limitation. If you're starting a new career. Um, I remember when we planted this church, uh, it was a lot of hours working to build this church. It was not sustainable, but it was a season, and yet we knew that that season had to end, that there was a limitation. It's not something to push through, but a limit to receive. Um, maybe you have illnesses that keep you limited. These are all gifts for you to fall back on the beloved. I love the picture of John, who wrote the Gospel of John. At the Lord's Supper, it says he leaned back on Jesus' chest. And John would always say, I am the disciple Jesus loved. Can you believe, that sounds so egotistical. What's up, y'all? I'm John, the, beloved, the one Jesus loved. Not you, but me. I'm his favorite. I mean, I think that John just never got over it. I don't think he was being egotistical. I think he just never got over the fact that he was the beloved. And we receive our, our gift of limits also through life situations. Some of you are single, and there's a lot of things you can't do. Others of you are married, and there's a lot of things you can't do. A lot of you have kids, and you just cut your, your time into one-tenth of what you had. That's not bad. Um, some of you, uh, physical and emotional capacity. How much can you do and stay uh, uh, your, your emotional capacity, right? Like, what's your, in the season? Um, you know this is, you know, you know this is true when someone's like, uh, hey, can you pass that? You're like, stop. I was just going to ask you for the half and half and the creamer. Like, you're like, okay, you're, you're at capacity right now, right? We don't think of our limits as a gift, but a curse. But limitations is not an enemy, but a friend you lean into. Because when you lean into your limitations, you are more able to identify your calling and your identity. And in a church that's healthy, we understand the limits God has given us. When a church is, knows their limits, they're gracious. When a church knows their limits, they're not frenzied. They're not covetous. They're marked by contentment and joy. They embrace their calling instead of comparing themselves to other churches. When we fight the limits set over our lives, we end up unhealthy and immature. We're stressed, tired, and exhausted, and burnt out. I think Richard Rohr said burnout is false motives getting their revenge. That when we begin to live outside of our limits, 
And Jesus' beauty of fighting this temptation is he knew all of his limitations. He knew that he was not going to cheat code this. He was not going to, to microwave this calling of his life, but that he had to endure the wilderness. So, um, the worst thing you can do is just go get lunch afterwards and be like, all right, cool. But I want you to really press into, um, is your doing overflowing from your being? Are you doing things that you need to drop because it was your false self that said yes? Are you doing things that you need to drop because it was your false self that said yes? Um, so, um, we, need, we need a community ethic that, re- two, a couple of things, receives the gift of limits, and then secondly, a security that enables servanthood. A security that enables servanthood. Jesus is, the only way we're going to be enabled to serve, at the very end of the, bo- uh, the verse it says, love the Lord your God and serve him only. Um, this end, end rest of this is Jesus then marched into Jerusalem, went to the temple, grabbed the, the scroll, and said, this passage in Isaiah 61 is about me, to uh, set free the captives, to serve the poor, to set free the oppressed, and, 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 and to heal those who are brokenhearted, and to, and to heal the, the lame and the sick. So Jesus is, after this journey of receiving the security in the Beloved, going through the wilderness, and then enabled to serve. Why is there so much insecurity inside the Christian community if we all know this? If we all know this, why is there so much insecurity? Our ability to critique what is wrong is so much stronger than to build the alternative, which is something beautiful. So our critiquing mechanisms in the church are so much stronger than our like, formation mechanisms because of our insecurity. Because of our insecurity, because we don't know who we are. And Jesus here is receiving this will-pleaseness, this affirmation. And then what did Jesus do? He humbled himself. He who did not consider equality with God to be grasped emptied himself out, Philippians 2, to become a servant and take up a life upon the cross. And God exalted him, therefore, to the name above every name. So the path to, to resurrection is first descension. The path of the Christian life is not up, 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 up. It's down, 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 down. It's down so that God may raise us from the dead. And this sense of humility... This is the only place that we will truly serve God because out of anything else, it is a misuse of power. Um, So what are we serving in our lives? Are you pushing your own story, pushing your brand, building your platform, maximizing your influence, or are you waking up in the day and go, God, I'm your beloved. I want your story to just go forth. I'm here to serve. I'm here to help. I'm here to love. Are you living for the praise of man over his glory? Who is this for? When you're doing something, ask yourself, who is this for? Who do I want to see this? Whose attention am I trying to get? Dad, look at me, look at me. And I am a professional Christian, okay? Like, I speak for God for a living, and I public speak for a living. You have to have a little bit of ego to stand up here and say, I think this is what God might want to say to you. It's kind of weird, to be honest. I think about how weird this job is all the time. But the deal is, is we have to also have the humility to know who we are enough to overcome any of those imposter syndromes to go, you know what, I'm here to love. I'm not, everyone's competing for our attention, but I am here to love. Um, 
I've said this before. It's just such a great quote. It's a very mo- a big model, <clears throat> excuse me, for my life. And so maybe you've heard this, you say this before, but this is a great way to finish this off. Um, Brendan Manning, he said that there's the difference between an imposter syndrome and the beloved. And he talks about that we show up in a room two different ways. There's two different ways we show up in a room. The first one is, here I am, right? Here I am. We, you've met the person that shows up in the room and goes, here I am. Everybody, come see me. Here I am. Notice me. Look at me. See me. And the other way to show up in a room is, there you are. There you are. There you are. When you are so secure in your identity, it enables servanthood. When you know who you are, you don't need the affirmation of the world. You don't need the accolades. You don't need the status. You don't need the power. You can use your power to serve. You can walk around the room and go, there you are. I see you. I see you, and I see you, and I see you. May God create a community that goes around this room in Chicago that can say, there you are. May we be a there you are. I love that. Amen? Let's pray. Band, you can come up and close this. God, we pray that you would enable us uh, to to be so uh, enamored by your love, to be so filled up by who we are. Satan comes along and says, if you really are the Son of God, if you really are the Beloved, then do this. May we live into our Belovedness. May we let this sink in that God, you so pleased with us. I just want you to take a moment of silence. Just take... 60 seconds to just ask, God, what, what did you bring me here to, here to hear? What had your name on it this morning? Of us need to receive the lightness and gentleness of God. Yes, we confess our sin, we confess our ways of seeking identity outside of you, but we, receive, we, we come receiving the beloved. But God, may your lightness and gentleness come upon us. God doesn't love you because you beat yourself up a lot, He loves you because He made you. Beautiful days. So of us need to receive. Receive the belovedness of God. Receive that I'm well And some of you are in that space. You've been in that space. But man, he is cultivating an imagination for how you are going to see his kingdom come to Chicago. How you are going to be enabled to serve out of the, that belovedness. We want to pray for you as well that God would cultivate your imagination for service. To cultivate your imagination for what you value what your ancestry valued, what your, the, the, the spiritual like ancestors in your life and what they valued and what you value and how you're going to leave a legacy on this earth. How you're going to leave a mark. We are made from a purpose. We are, made, we are the only creatures of all God's creatures that must have you are my beloved. The animals, the trees, they can go on just fine. But we have to have them. We have to have this because you've called us to leave a mark on this world. God, I pray that you would um, let us see, uh, cultivate a vision for a life of service. Um, God, may you 
move mightily in our midst. We want to pray for many of you. Um, if God has spoken to you, um, we'll be back by the elevator to pray. We'd love to pray for you. Um, just bless you. Would you stand uh, as we worship? We're going to take commun- respond in a couple of ways. Uh, take communion. Remember Jesus' death and resurrection. Worship. Uh, you can give. And then we want to pray over you. We want to pray uh, God's beloved reminder over you that you are God's well pleased. Uh, we want you to remember your identity. So uh, no matter what you're going through, um, we'd love to pray over many of you today. Remind you.